everyone, and welcome to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Christina Burns. I'm a doctor of natural medicine specializing in the treatment of infertility via natural and integrative methods. I founded the Naterna Institute in New York City, where my team and I work with women and couples, often in collaboration with Western medical doctors, to guide the path to healthy conception. In this podcast, you'll learn all about your body and everything in the fertility landscape to help you realize your dream of baby. I'll be bringing you the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility heroes on their path to baby. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello and happy new year. Today, we are going to address a topic that I see very consistently in my wellness clinic, and I find that there aren't really great solutions in conventional treatment, yet the natural side of things offers quite a bit in this area. So I think it's important for all of you listeners to know what your options are if you encounter this yourself, or if you have friends or family that are encountering this issue. The topic of the day is struggling with a thin endometrial lining. So a thinning of your uterine lining that would make it hard for an embryo to implant or to stay implanted. The causes of a thin endometrial lining are things like low estrogen, damage to the lining, and damage to the lining could happen because of infections, sexually transmitted diseases like chlamydia, for example. It could be as a result of procedures like hysteroscopies, DNC, DNEs, uh, if you know there was a previous uh, termination of a pregnancy, whether that was because there were complications with it or um, because it was unwanted. And There are also certain medications that can affect the uterine lining. Clomid, for example, which is commonly used for IUIs and now also regularly being used in many IVF protocols, can have the effect of thinning the lining. Polycystic ovarian syndrome is very commonly correlated with a thin lining and the likelihood of it being just due to low hormone levels is very high. Women with PCOS, I'm one of them, tend to underproduce sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone, and and that can lead to a late ovulation and irregular cycles. Something that's correlated with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is hyperandrogenism, so high androgen levels, high male hormones. And this is also a cause of thinning of the uterine lining. It can also lead to things like hair loss and... uh, hair growth patterns on the face or the nipples or the, or the belly and is generally associated with insulin resistance. A decrease in blood flow could be a cause of a thin uterine lining and decreases in blood flow can happen due to illness, due to injury and things that I mentioned earlier that would damage the lining it can also just happen with age. Sadly, we, we tend to start having more poor circulation. It can be due to blood sugar and insulin imbalances. It can be due to another cause of thinning of the lining or, or the inability for it to reach adequate thickness, which is generally at least 6.5 to 7 
and with hopefully a trilaminar appearance is uh, chronic endometritis. Endometritis is inflammation of the uterine lining, and it's generally related to infection. And it doesn't have to be necessarily related to having damage to the uterine lining. It's more just infection that persists and causes receptivity issues and lining issues. And generally, we're seeing it associated with certain bacteria, and then also yeasts like candida, for example. The conventional treatment for this would be antibiotic usage, but we'll talk a little bit later about how that's not exactly effective for building lining. Growths can also affect the thickening of the uterine lining. So masses like fibroids and then adenomyosis, these things start to affect blood flow, basically. They're kind of like accumulations. They look like big fatty accumulations, basically, and they hamper the blood flow. This can lead to issues, even just like part of the uterine lining could be thinner, and then the other side of the uterus could be perfectly fine. The issue is with that is that the embryo could move around. Like if we could just place it in one side and have it stick there, then that's great. But if it shifts to the side that isn't so great with vascularity, with blood flow, then we're running into issues. So that's the general sort of synopsis of things. There are also you know, other hormonal issues like maybe low thyroid, for example, that could probably affect things also and, and certain adrenal disorders, autoimmune disorders. But the ones that I mentioned are the most common. Low estrogen, damage to the lining, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, hyperandrogenism, insulin and blood sugar issues, decreased blood flow, endometritis, and growths like fibroids or adenomyosis. Conventional treatments generally look like this. You have a thin lining, they give you an extra estrogen patch, or they tell you to take oral estrogen too. It's not working, here's another patch, here's another pill. And so it increases the estrogen. The problem is, is that some people just don't absorb it. I've seen a ton of my PCOS patients be put on multiple patches, become so bloated, depressed, miserable, gaining weight, only for their uterine lining to just not even move, doesn't thicken. For some reason, their body doesn't take that type of estrogen and use it to build the lining. And I see this mostly in my hypothalamic amenorrhea and PCOS patients, just in case that you are in that category and need to hear this. So the estrogen patches and pills are the main attack for this type of situation. And I find that it's oftentimes not very effective. When that's not effective, sometimes what is, is doing the injectable medications. So some women find that their uterine lining will increase quite well while they're doing the injectables in an IVF cycle, like folistim and minipure, for example. And so sometimes you can use these injectables to thicken the lining. And for whatever reason, the body will take that type of estrogen, maybe because it's helping signal the estrogen from your brain um, to your ovaries that maybe that is taken by the body a little bit easier. It's a lot to go through though. And it's not a common approach. Uh, what the only way that that would be generally able to be used is if you kind of do a retrieval cycle right into a fresh cycle and you could use a frozen embryo that's tested in that cycle, but it just, it kind of muddles things up and is, goes a little bit backwards. But if you were looking to use conventional treatment to try to thicken your lining, it might be something you want to bring up with your doctor. But I 
will give you some strategies from natural medicine that I found to be super effective and make it so that your body is healthier and less bogged down with um, junk and medicines and, and hormones. So another approach is Viagra. Uh, Viagra was shown in a study to be combined with vitamin E to help the uterine lining. I have not seen it be super effective on its own, to be honest, but it was shown in a study to help. And so some clinics are using that and Viagra obviously increases blood flow for erectile dysfunction. So the thought is it increases blood flow for the uterus too. The thing is, it's like, it's not all about blood flow. Uh, a lot of the time it's hormonal issues uh, that are interfering. And so Addressing the blood flow does work somewhat, but doesn't treat the whole picture. Antibiotics, as mentioned before, if there's uh, an infection, for example, that's preventing the uterine lining from flourishing, it may work in some cases. I haven't seen that it's been overly effective, but that is another thing that you might hear as an option. I prefer to treat infections with healthy diet and probiotics and some type of antimicrobial. Could be antibiotics or could be an herbal form of treatment. So know that you have options with that too. Sometimes the antibiotics, in fact, often they're not killing uh, very persistent cases of endometritis. Hysteroscopy. Uh, so it's like a scraping of the uterine lining. If they're trying to get rid of adhesions, uh, little scars, and, and maybe freshen up the flow of the uterus. I also haven't seen this one to be overly effective for uh, really thickening the uterine lining, but it, it is one thing that is commonly prescribed. So as I mentioned, these don't always work for a number of reasons. You can't always absorb the estrogen. Um, the estrogen actually can make certain conditions worse, like PCOS, for example, where you have an issue with your liver metabolizing the extra hormones, and then you end up being estrogen dominant and becoming more inflamed. Uh, the estrogen will uh, aggravate adenomyosis, fibroids, and endometriosis, making those conditions flourish. So we're trying to make the uterus more receptive and thicken up, but we're giving a bunch of estrogen that makes pathological conditions flourish. So it makes adenomyosis grow. It makes fibroids grow. It makes endometriosis grow. The giving of a lot of extra estrogen is not a good idea. And so if there's another way, then I think we should be exploring that. Viagra, as I mentioned, increases blood flow, but doesn't always change hormones. And if the issue is with the hormones, um, or if it's with infection, Viagra is not going to address that. Antibiotics sometimes help to clear the infection, um, but the infection doesn't always clear, or maybe that's not the issue of why the lining isn't thickening, because a, a lot of the time there's like a few things going on at once. Hyperandrogenism, the, the elevated male hormones would need to be corrected, which is often related to insulin and blood sugar. And things going on with your adrenal hormones. So we're back to addressing the hormonal issues. Basically, what I'm saying is that these conventional approaches kind of address, try to address it from one angle, but don't really correct the underlying issue. And we follow in conventional medicine, a mechanistic model of medicine where you are broken down into parts and a different specialist deals with each part. So the digestive specialist is your GI specialist, the reproductive specialist deals with the ovaries and your uterus. Um, but what if, you know, it's coming from a more full endocrine perspective, like your adrenal hormones or your thyroid, then you're into seeing an endocrinologist and the catch, these people don't really communicate with each other. <laughs> so it's like, 
one prescribes one treatment, one prescribes another, but one doesn't really know how well, you know, the thyroid hormones relate to the reproductive hormones because they focus more on different aspects of what the thyroid hormones do. So it all becomes so fragmented that you end up not being able to find a solution. This is why I love the medicine that I practice so much. I love holistic medicine because we look at the whole body and we address it from a whole systems perspective. And that way you don't have to go see a million people. You can see one person and they can be like, okay, here, here is the solution to this issue. We're going to balance out the various systems involved in this issue so that we can resolve the issue. So when you see somebody like me and you're having a thin uterine lining, we're addressing how your body metabolizes estrogen. We're addressing inflammation. We're addressing infection. We're addressing blood sugar and insulin imbalances. We're addressing blood flow. We're addressing the whole picture uh, to be able to help the uterine lining flourish. So the natural solutions, first of which I love, is acupuncture. So acupuncture has been shown in numerous studies to increase blood flow. So if it's a blood flow issue, acupuncture is definitely your ally. In fact, if it's a a variety of other issues, acupuncture is still your ally. But uh, there was a a study called Steiner-Vitorin where they measured the uterine artery pulsatility. So basically the amount of blood flow going through the uterine artery when they did electroacupuncture on a few simple points versus not doing it. And the blood flow was greatly increased. And so I used this, I used this method combined with some other points to uh, increase the blood flow and help the lining flourish. It has never failed me. Uh, it depends. Some people need a few more treatments. Some people need like one treatment. It really depends on the person and what's going on with their hormonal profile, but it is a really, really great protocol. Acupuncture is also amazing for balancing insulin and blood sugar. So if insulin and blood sugar are leading to PCOS symptoms or hyperandrogenism, then acupuncture is still your ally because it's going to be balancing these things out. If it's an issue of inflammation, acupuncture is highly anti-inflammatory. If it's an issue of stress, this is one I didn't mention earlier. High stress levels can affect the blood flow and suppress the function of the reproductive system. Acupuncture calm stress hormones allows the blood flow to flourish in the reproductive system. So needless to say, acupuncture is amazing for addressing issues with thin uterine lining. I also use a variety of botanical medicines to address uh, lining issues. So raspberry leaf tincture is really, really great. Uh, there are a couple of Chinese medicine formulas that I like very much. Wun Jing Tang, so Warm the Valley Decoction, I really like for PCOS and for uh, hypothalamic amenorrhea. There's another one called Tao Hong Su Tang uh, that I really like for uh, when somebody is a little bit uh, older, say over the age of 40, that, that might be a more helpful formula. There are others also, but these are the two that I go to very often, Wunjing Tong probably being the most often. They both supplement iron a lot, by the way. I do find deficiency of iron can be part of this picture too. Vitamin E can be helpful also. Uh, as a standalone, I don't think it's all that helpful, but as part of the sort of greater formulation of, of the strategy, I think it's great. L-arginine, also helpful. Again, part of a larger strategy. I like probiotics, as I mentioned earlier, if there's been history of an infection. 
omega-3 fish oil at high dosages, like over uh, 1,500 or 2,000, because it's very, very good for increasing blood flow. So omega-3 fish oil is great for increasing blood flow as a blood thinner and also for decreasing inflammation and for supplementing hormones. It's, it's really a great ally in, in the realm of implantation. Myo-inositol can be very helpful in some cases where PCOS and insulin resistance are part of the picture too, simply because it addresses the higher insulin levels. Calming stress, mindfulness, uh, vacation, acupuncture, decreasing stimulants like caffeine, for example. If we can get the stress hormones out of our body, it's going to be helpful for our uterine lining. I see a lot of uterine lining flourish after somebody's had a little break. Eating iron-rich foods, as I mentioned earlier, those herbals that I generally prescribe for this issue are full of iron. And so I think this is part of the picture. So it can be beets, spinach, uh, really well-sourced, grass-fed red meats. I really like game meats over beef a lot of the time because game meats tend to be lower in acid and easier to digest. So venison and bison, I know this isn't everybody's cup of tea, but you know, might be worth exploring if you kind of have been sticking to the same things like chicken all the time, for example. Lowering inflammation and yeast and bacteria levels with your diet is really a good idea. So getting rid of sugar, booze, wine and beer, for example, are just so high in yeast. They feed bacteria and they feed infections. Sugar, obviously, we know does the same thing. Yeasty foods like bread can do the same thing. Anything that blocks your absorption of iron, so gluten, for example, or an excess of tannin from wine or tea is is not going to be helping with the situation either. So we can come at this from a few different angles. You can do it with botanicals. You can do it with vitamins. You definitely need to be addressing your diet because if the blood sugar and insulin are out of whack, if your liver is really clogged up, if you have an overabundance of microbes growing because you're feeding them with uh, certain foods, then we're, we're going, it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle. And then acupuncture, 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 acupuncture. If you have anybody near you, then, then I would really suggest going at least once a week, but even better twice a week for a couple weeks to address the lining issue. You can do it in an off cycle just to watch it grow, uh, to be able to monitor it and, and see that it works. And then you do it in the live cycle just so that you already know like, okay, this, this strategy is working. If you don't have these resources near you and you ever want to do a consultation, you can contact us at the Naturna Institute. We're happy to help virtually. And if there are any topics that you want me to cover in these sessions, I am more than open. Thanks for tuning in today and Happy New Year. I'm really happy you've tuned in and joined the community. And I'm so excited to bring you more helpful content with each episode. In order to make this podcast as helpful as possible, I want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey. You can DM me on Instagram at at Naturna underscore life or at naturally CB to share your most important fertility related questions. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share with friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.